God's just... You On, on everybody and if you'll make the journey down one you will have a lovely breakfast and it will be finished for 12 so it is just a morning but you will be empowered in your faith in your journey in your leadership wherever you're at in in the in the the journey of god and uh, so please take opportunity for that and there are some leaflets on the table for you to take i want to just turn your attention tonight to a um, well-known passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Despite being in Africa for two and a half weeks as a good Englishman I've not forgotten my watch so don't worry you know we're not gonna we're not on African they can go they can go for a long time but but don't worry and um, so uh, and and I will reflect just one or two thoughts out of that tonight in terms of of the ministry. Thank you as I reflected this week for people that have prayed. We felt that blessing of prayer and that God was good and we give him glory. So Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 16, 18 is a familiar scripture to any of you that have been Christians for any period of time, Jesus says, I will build my church. I want to talk to you tonight about the master church builder. His name is Jesus. And we're in this season and Christian's been speaking and Jeff picked up a couple of weeks ago and I could hear the laughter from 4,000 miles away um, on that evening. Uh, has been coming David next week, speaking, setting something fresh into the life of the church Thank you for those that came on Thursdays. We talked about the whole concept of church in partnership. It came out of church in Ilkeston having another look at what church was all about. And any prevailing church that has any history has to, at certain seasons, have another look. And Arena Mansfield's all about a church having another look and moving into all that God's got for it in this day. And so Jesus conducts an opinion poll. They're nothing new. It's not Mori or Harris or YouGov. And we've had many opinion polls this year because we've had a general election and who we're going to vote for and, uh, and how that all worked out. He says, who do people say that I am? And actually, friends, the response of people in the first century is a little different from people in the 21st century. Because when Andy and the team are in the marketplace in a week or so's time, if they got a clipboard out and said, we're doing a survey, who do you say Jesus is? People that wouldn't darken the doors of this church yet would say to him, well, Jesus, there'd be very, very few people actually that would deny 
that there was a man called Jesus that lived on the earth. And actually, friends, if they did that, they would be rather foolish because let's leave the Bible for a moment. History books record that there was a man called Jesus that lived on the earth. So people would say to that particular question in Mansfield Marketplace, oh yeah, Jesus, well, he was a good sort of bloke, wasn't he? He was a good teacher. Uh, uh, some people might even say, yeah, he was some sort of prophet. Don't you people believe that Jesus was a prophet? Other people would say, yeah, Jesus, he sort of gave some good ideas about how we ought to live. Oh, sorry, uh, it's not really me. And other people would say he was a good man. We would get the similar reactions to what we got 2,000 years ago. But then Peter came along. Because Jesus says, okay, disciples, but who do you say I am? And by revelation, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And actually, friends, that statement changes everything. You see, if you believe tonight that Jesus was a good bloke that gave us some good ideas to live, but I'm off down Mansfield tonight, so don't expect me to put him into action, then that's one aspect of how we think of Jesus. If you think he was a good teacher, that's pretty good. If you think he was a prophet. But when you come to a place of being confronted with the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, then actually, friends, it's going to have to draw some response from us. C.S. Lewis says that if that statement is true, then there are three things that we can say about Jesus. Number one, he was a liar. In other words, he never was the Christ. Number two, he was a lunatic. I mean, we've had plenty of people going around over the years, haven't they, saying that they're the Messiah. And we said, yeah, right. But actually, one person came to the earth, friends, who said it, and he was right. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or his Lord. And he brings a response from our lives. And it may be that you've been on a journey. Maybe that you've read some books. Maybe you'd be that man or woman in the marketplace that, until this time, say, yeah, well, I think Jesus was a good bloke, and he, he had some good ideas on how to live, and we ought to try and implement them. I want to say, friends, if you're trying to implement the teachings of Jesus in your own strength, then you're setting yourself up for a nervous breakdown because it is utterly impossible in your own efforts. That is the beauty of Christianity because when we invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives, his spirit indwells us and he takes us on a journey where we can live the impossible. We can increasingly become like Jesus. And it's all because of him. So you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And on this rock, I will build my church. I'm sorry, friends, if I'm going to prick your bubble tonight, but we've just had the visit of the Pope. And I was able to follow that a little bit. We we, we occasionally got Sky News, but it was mainly Al Jazeera. (laughs) You know, so Al Jazeera telling us about the Pope's visits to England. I want to say tonight that some of you may believe that Peter was the first Pope. We'll leave that aside But the reality is tonight that this statement is not saying that the church was going to be built upon Peter. His name meant stone. It meant, friends, that the church was going to be built on the revelation of the statements. That Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, Jesus says to Peter, this hasn't been revealed to you simply by earth. It's something that's come from heaven. And upon this rock, upon this statement, upon your confession of Jesus as the Christ, I'm going to build the church. Now, there are many, many promises in the scriptures. And if you're as old as I am, you probably remember the old promise box. It's like a chocolate box. 
And we used to treat the promises of God a little bit like the chocolates. Oh, I don't like that one. You know, in other words, you'd pick one out until it suited. And it was, a, it was a worthy pursuit, although often, friends, the context was a little bit sort of taken away and also the conditions. And very often promises are out of responses from us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not he will give you the desires of your heart. You've got to trust the Lord with all your heart. That's just one. But there are three unconditional promises in the scriptures that Jesus gave. First one was, I will come again. And if you know when he's coming again, you know more than Jesus. Because the Bible says the only person that knows when Jesus is coming again is the Father. He's not told anybody else. Let's not waste time, friends, second guessing when Jesus is coming again. Let's be church. And let's leave the calendar and the time of events to him. But he's coming again. He also says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And since the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the spirit of God has been poured into the earth. Sometimes it seems as though it's been very, very little. Sometimes it seems, friends, as though very, very, very few people were being impacted. But the reality is, friends, that God has been pouring out of his spirit. And the 20th century, which we've just come out of, by common consent was a century of the spirits outpouring. Millions of people coming into a fresh experience of the spirit. And the third promise is, I will build my church. Now he's either going to build his church with us, or he's going to find somebody else. But here's the promise. He's going to build his church. I'm not going to overly define church tonight because it has many facets in these days. The cell church, the simple church, there's intelligent church, there's even messy church. I thought all churches were messy, but anyway, somebody's invited one of those in. There's messy church. There's all sorts of churches, friends. There's purpose-driven church, the seeker-sensitive church. There's all sorts of church. I'm not going there tonight. Whatever it is, Jesus is building it. And he's looking for material that he can use to build his church. He wants to build his church, friends, where we live. He wants to build his church where we worship. He wants to build, he's not going to stop me. He wants to build his church. <laughs> he wants to build his church wherever he finds people. And the reality is, friends, there are people that have pitched up at church today who Jesus can't build church through. Because they're telling Jesus by their attitude, by their intransigence, by the fact that they're steeped in history, that actually they're not really expecting him to do anything in these days. But Jesus is the master builder. This promise is unconditional. He's going to do it. It's irrevocable. He's never removed it. He's never said, oh yeah, 21st century. Yeah, they're not a bit cynical in the United Kingdom in the 21st century, aren't they? And, 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 and people talk, there seems to be a lot of people saying, I'm an atheist in these days. Oh, yeah, I'm a bit panicky. You know, he says, I'm going to build my church. And it's irremovable, friends. It's built on a rock. It's built on a rock. Now, church has often become the Aunt Sally of our times. It's easy to mock. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to ridicule. It's easy to accuse. It's easy, actually, to be cynical about church. And church sometimes, friends, has become a caricature of what it was intended to be. There's always going to be plenty of material for J. John, Jeff Lucas, Adrian Plaster, right, his latest book. And if I might say Jeff Pickup, they're always going to have a few jokes. 
about church. Because sometimes church is a bit of a joke. Sometimes we, we do things that are foolish. And yet despite all of that, Jesus says, I'm going to build it. I'm going to build it. And friends, I'm, I'm with Christian on this and I've heard Christian even recently again. I'm not too sure that any of those reactions are right. Because the Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 that God loves the church. And he gave himself in Jesus for it. I don't know about you friends, but I give myself to things that I love. I've laid down my life for my wife, my kids, because I love them. And Jesus loves the church. He's not happy when people mock it, ridicule it, deride it, get cynical about it. And not only that, not only does he love it, he wants to work through it. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, and the whole book is full of the church. He says that it's through the church that the many varied colors of God's wisdom will be revealed to spiritual authorities in heavenly places according to his eternal purpose. I was watching the rescue of the Chilean miners yesterday. What a great, there's going to be a great sermon coming out of that somewhere along the line, but what a great story. And Tim Wilcox was on the BBC yesterday. He's into Spanish, he's into brilliant journalism. Uh, and, uh, and just sort of saying, this was plan B. It, it beat plan A. Plan B, the pipe came down. There was a competition between A, B and C. And B won. Friends, there's no plan B with the church. There's not three pipes coming. We go, oh, I wonder how it's all going to work out. Oh. No, he's committed to the church. It's plan A, it's plan A, it's plan A, it's plan A, it's plan A. According to his eternal purpose. It's not a second thought. He's not thought it all went wrong at Calvary. I better come up with something else. It was according to his eternal purpose. He saw you in eternity. He saw you before you were born. He saw Mansfield before it was ever here. He saw everything, friends. And he brings us right back to an October Sunday evening in 2010. And says, will you cooperate together with my eternal purpose? So that through the church... I can declare my many varied colours of wisdom to those that seek to influence this community. And church has many shades of varieties, I've already said. But he's building the church. And Christian reminded us this morning of the power of community. And I want to say, friends, that God never has an intention to rob us of our individuality. Thank God we're all different. Thank God that there's extrovert and introvert, loud and quiet, good singers and those that can't sing in tune, and people that are good in this and people that are good at that. All together, but here's the truth. Your individuality will never truly prosper outside of a commitment to community. That's the church. And we've got people around today, friends, that are seeking to do their thing. Away from the life of a community of God's people and it never works. And I wrote this down and I think this is for somebody here tonight. That I believe that God's bringing you to a season in your life where you freshly identify with what the purpose of the church is. You may say, oh, you don't know what I went through. Oh, that last church we're in. I've never been spoken to like it before. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And, and, and you don't know what my wife... You've got to leave it. You've got to leave it. Because God is so impassioned about you. Whoa, how he loves us. That he's brought us to a place tonight, friends, 
where we freshly identify with what he's building. And out of that, your individuality of gift and servanthood and purpose and gift will come to the fore. Let me just give you three or four things briefly. Jesus is building his church despite poverty. You know, if you've heard me, you'll know that sometimes I give that throwaway line that there's two billion people in the world that live on two dollars a day. But I've lived with some of those people over the last few weeks. It's true. Abject poverty. And many of them, friends, are our Christian brothers and sisters that worship God as passionately as we do. The schools that we've been involved in in Uganda, Monday to Friday, two weeks, wall-to-wall teaching, cost the student 10,000 Ugandan shillings to attend. The reason for that is because it's not a conference, it's a school. It's not a coming and going when you please. And we all know that if we sometimes make a small commitment to something, it means something. If I tell you that 10,000 Ugandan shillings is 285 and so you couldn't buy a Big Mac meal with it, and some of them are struggling to pay, and they've travelled 50 miles on a bike to get there, you understand some of the standards of living that people live with, pastoring churches, loving God with a passion. There was one lady I met last week, and um, she came to faith by listening to a radio broadcast. She could barely read or write. She came from one of the villages, but she became a Christian. The following week, because of her influence, 12 other people became a Christian in the village. And they said, well, you became a Christian first, so you've got to be the pastor. Well, I don't know. Be. So she became the pastor of the church. She saved a week. So she contacted the person who she'd heard on the radio broadcast, which was Pastor Silas from one of the local towns. And he began to input into the life of the church. This lady now, out of virtually a zero background, has done a complete sort of course of leadership training, learned to read and write properly, completed it with absolute honours, and continues to lead this church in the power of God. You see, Jesus builds his church despite poverty. Friends, I've seen so many smiley-facey kids going to school over the last two and a half weeks with no shoes on, walking on red shale. I'm thinking, oof, oof. We don't seem to worry them. And with respect, you know, I'm thinking about our kids and my iPod's not working, Dad. He's building his church. He's building his church despite problems. Problems where sometimes nations are endemically corrupt. Problems where zeal takes over from knowledge and some strange things happen. Problems of repressive regimes. I was talking to a Christian pastor this week, North Africa from England, that's been in a Christian missionary conference the week before, who said that he was talking to somebody that is leading people to faith in Morocco, North Africa. And here's the thing. He says, don't be too hard on these people if they don't get baptized in water, because the deal is that if these people get baptized in water, they will be killed. They will be killed. You see, there are problems around the world. There are broken economies, including ours. And this week we've heard, you know, family allowance and all those things, and it's not even started yet because we've got the, the economic statement in a couple of weeks time many pandemic diseases that affect nations such as AIDS but Jesus despite all the problems friends is building his church and the reality is that as God causes Arena Church Mansfield to continue to grow there are times when we're going to be confronted with problems problems personally 
and problems collectively. We're not going to go looking for them. We're not going to be happy and we're not going to be a sort of person that says, I'm not happy unless I've got a problem. You know, but the reality is they come to us. But it never stops Jesus building his church. Jesus is building his church, friends, despite persecution. I've shared this story a couple of times already, so those that have heard it, forgive me. But last Sunday I was in the capital city of Uganda, Kampala, at the Church of the Redeemed Evangelical Church. It's led by Pastor Robert Kasaija. And the story of this church is remarkable because over 30 years ago, between 1971 and 79, Uganda was ruled by Idi Amin. Some of you can remember Amin's regime. He was known as the Butcher of Uganda. Tens of thousands of people, friends, were killed if they stood against his despotic rule. And it was a difficult time for that land. On the site where this church now is, two men used to pray regularly for his regime to be overthrown. And as we got to the end of the 70s, things began to change. Robert Kasaija had found himself in America doing some theological training. And he came back to that particular site. These men says, our job's done. Now it's down to you and you need to plant a church. And he planted a church. And the reality is, friends, that as Jesus builds his church in that nation today, from that one church in the last 30 years, 220 other churches have been planted north, south, east and west of that nation. And the reality is this, that the mandate upon the church in the UK today is to plant churches, to repurpose churches, to have fresh expression of church. And God is continually at work, friends. And I ask this to Christian, I'm so pumped about this, that we need to increasingly engage in all that God is doing for us, despite persecution. Whatever the enemy is doing, friends, despite the butcher of Uganda trying to wreck the nation, despite all those things that took place, Jesus is building his church. There are over 70 nations in the earth today, friends, where human rights are abused simply because people are a Christian. And yet Jesus is building his church. Let me ask you this question. If it was difficult for you to be a Christian, would you be one? Because many people have to face that question. And finally, friends, he's building his church because of pe- uh, despite people. Despite people. You see, the very fabric of the church is sometimes what gives Jesus the most problems. It's called people. And Paul says we're jars of clay. The gospel's contained amongst us. And I'm not making mistakes, friends, uh, uh, or excuses for us, but often the church is dogged by immaturity. It's dogged by intransigence. Of, well, we liked it like this 20 years ago, but didn't expect us to move. It's, it's, it's dog friends by the insistence on what is not important. Christian was talking about Santa. Santa Claus. I had somebody say to me once, do you realise that's an acronym and it's not actually, it don't work, for Satan's Claus. You see, the insistence on the unimportant. Have you heard anybody's spiritual life ever been wrecked by Santa Claus? No, thank you. A job, a, a job done. It's a childlike fantasy, friends, that you know, we all sort of come through and deal with and grow up. I can't think of any backslidden person I've ever come across and said, why is the reason that you lost your faith? Oh, because somebody mentioned Santa. You see. <laughs> but I've had somebody like that in my face. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tell you what the face looked like. Because to them it was important. And it was totally and utterly unimportant and despite all that Jesus is building 
this church. You may have felt a failure, friends. You may have felt that you've let God down. You may need to be restored back to where you need to be. You may feel that you've wasted years. You may feel that you've not been connected for a long time. You may feel that you've brought all of that stuff before God. And God says, I'm here tonight to say that this is your opportunity for a fresh start. I'm here tonight to say whatever the problems, whatever the mistakes, whatever the regrets, I've still earmarked you as building material for my church. So what's our response to all this? Is it apathy? Is it indifference? Is it holding back? I trust not. Because this church, is you can always already feel in the vibe, it's not going to be a holding back church. It's going to be passionate about what it's doing. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be a great ride, friends. God's going to do great things. I trust that we're not going to be there. I trust that tonight, if you've never made a first-time decision to be a follower of Jesus, that when Christian brings the invitation in a few minutes, you're going to say, that's me. That's me. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I promise you tonight that you'll never have a challenge? No. In fact, some of the challenges may intensify because of some of the things that you've got to work through in your heart. But friends, this really will be the ride of your life. You will join with a multi-million strong community around the world. You will join with heaven that parties and cheers you on and says another one is in the kingdom. You will come to faith for such a time as this to be used of the Lord. And God is still working in people today. Last Sunday night, I got back and said to Sharon, how's things gone? Last Sunday night, my Alison and, and Ryan that go to Christian Centre in Nottingham had the joy of baptising Ryan's friend in water, uh, Matt. How's he come to faith? They just worked together. Just worked together at Starbucks. And Matt saw something in Ryan that he liked. Then he asked some questions. Then he asked some questions. Then he asked some questions. His whole family came to the Christian Centre last week. Not one of them believers. And before Matt got baptised, his dad went to hug him and said, I am so proud of you. You see, it's happening all over the country, friends, where people are being confronted with the love of Jesus Christ and saying, count me in. And we're not freaky tonight. We're not weird, but we are absolutely passionate about our faith. And we want you to join the journey of being a follower of Jesus. It may be tonight, friends, that you have... uh, have, uh, have been on that sort of uh, indecisive area where you're not sure where to belong. And we're, we're, God's calling you tonight to belong. It may be that your gifts have laid dormant and they need to come to the fore again. It may be tonight that you've been a believer for 30, 40, 50 years, but your vision and vigor is being renewed to say, this is me in this day. To be part of a community of people that sees God doing something Great. And so three responses as we close. Number one, we need a response of prevailing faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. To see the heart of God in these days. To see what Jesus wants to do. To believe for salvation and healing and restoration for the glory of God. Two, to have persistent hearts. We may sometimes face disappointments and setbacks. We may sometimes feel as though we're walking uphill a little bit. But the Bible says of the Apostle Paul, he says, I know that in whom I believed, for I know that I have believed and I'm convinced or persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Persistent to see all that Jesus wants to do in our day and purposeful lives. You see, 
You hear sometimes kids in the playground saying, you did that on purpose, didn't you? You did it on purpose. And sometimes when kids are naughty, mum will say, you did that on purpose. That was really wrong. Friends, tonight the call is for you to live the Christian life on purpose. On purpose. An American preacher says that the church has the largest participation. It's millions strong. It's got the widest distribution. If the church went on strike tomorrow, friends, all across the world, people would feel the impact. It has the longest continuation, 2,000 years and going strong. And I know that, and, and I'm just increasingly impassioned to pray for my nation. Africans are praying for our nation, friends. And I know that sometimes we live in a particularly unique struggle at the moment. But I've just been in a nation where 40% of the adult population is born again. I've been in a nation where last Sunday morning at 8.30, they were four and five deep going to church carrying the Bibles, all ready to serve God. I've been into a nation, friends, where what God is doing spills out into the streets. The longest continuation, the fastest expansion, 60,000 people becoming believers in Jesus Christ every day. And the church provides for God's conclusion. One day he's going to bring it all to an end. And we're going to be with him forever. The master church builder is not Christian Thorpe, as good as he is. It's not Dave Shearman. It's not Phil Pye, Jeff Pickup. It's not the Pope or the Archbishop of Cantrell, or Bishop John Sentamu. It's none of those people. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Friends, be part of all that Jesus is building today. Not just in Africa. Not just in Asia. Not just in America. Not just in the capital city of our nation, London. But right here where we live. In Mansfield. God bless you.